The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The single most successful continuing genre in the history of the movies was science fiction, fantasy, and horror films. Mm -hmm. Even from the silent days, those movies never went out of style and they never didn't make money. We're here at uh, Icons of Darkness in Hollywood, right on Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, Rich Carell is, is the proprietor of this amazing place, which I was not even expecting what we were going to discover here today, and it's incredible. Basically, just so I can <laughs> give an give a overview, is it's got probably the best collection of screen-worn costumes props monsters <laughs> gore everything you could ever really want if you're a movie fan a uh, rich first of all how long have you been here for because this place is like an untapped treasure for hollywood for sure we moved in here just under two years ago this coming uh, the end of september we'll be here for two years and then we're going to move all this stuff to vegas so it's going to be in a much bigger version of this because it's funny as people look and they see all this stuff and they go oh my god there's so much stuff and i have like twice as much stuff so, so this gonna, is only half of the uh, only half collection of that you have yeah yeah so how did you start amassing such a collection because this is a high tech and just so you guys know we're sitting in here right now and i'm looking right now at alien star wars terminator harry potter i mean that's just the stuff that planet of the apes these are just stuff so i can see right from my view right now this place has got everything in here right um when i was a kid i was lucky enough to be I was an actor, you know, and kid actors were kind of dime a dozen, but I was lucky enough to get hired as a regular on a show called Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Who's your character? Uh, I played a guy named Richard Rickover. He was kind of like the Eddie Haskell of Beaves friends. You got a whole other podcast that we need to talk about your Hollywood experiences, but continue. Please. Okay. So anyway, when I was working on Leave it to Beaver, Jerry Mathers, who played Beaver, yeah. and he was, I think I was three weeks older than Jerry. We were literally like clones. We just loved all the same stuff, and we had a great time together. He's still one of my best friends. I was best man at his wedding. <laughs> we loved horror movies, and we, here we were at Universal, where they made all the horror movies. So we used to say to our makeup guy, hey, you know, we were 10 years old. You know, Hey, can you take us to the makeup lab? You know? So finally the guy said, yeah, okay, come on, boys, let's go. So we went up there, and we saw all this great stuff that we recognized from you know watching the old movies. But... We were amazed at what they were throwing in the trash. So, Chris, back in those days, they didn't collect this stuff. This is the 50s, right? Yeah. Well, it started. I was started with them in 59. So okay. this would be like right around 59, 60. Gotcha. And so I saw this head in the trash from a movie called Abbott and Costello Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> 
And so I, I, you know, I knew what it was, and I thought someone was going to throw coffee on it or something. And I said to this guy behind the counter, "Hey, can I take that?" Oh yeah, sure, take it. And that's by they the way, I still have trash. That. They threw it in the trash. Yeah. Wow. So now, uh, you know, it started this collecting thing, and I started getting more and more of the stuff. I started making friends with the guys who did the makeup and the makeup effects guys and the people who worked at the labs. Then I started collecting masks, like from the Don Post Studios, and those, those guys made the best over-the-counter masks, again, with the universal licenses. Mm-hmm. So they were making the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein and all that stuff. I started collecting all that stuff. And then this just became a bigger collection, more and more and more. It's not only this collection, I have a Halloween collection, which is also vintage Halloween. Like the, like the movie Halloween or the holiday? No, the holiday. Gotcha. So, I mean, I've been collecting and collecting and collecting it. And I spent my entire career, and knock on wood, I mean, I was in television production for, you know, 56, 57 years. But the entire time this was going on, which was all comedy, my hobby was the polarity of that, which was all the science fiction and horror and fantasy stuff. Mm. My parents thought I was crazy. Mm. They said, why, well, you know, why do you like all this stuff? Because they weren't into it at all. But it was just, I had that bug, you know, it's just, I just loved all this stuff. So you worked in, in Hollywood for many years, very successful as a director, as a producer, and as a creator, you mentioned earlier that you created Hannah Montana. Yeah, I'm co-creator of Hannah Montana. Which and- probably tells me where you got at least some of the cash for this <laughs> stuff that you have in here. Um, what, what would you estimate the total value of your collection to be? Well, it was appraised about, I don't know, eight months ago at about 22, 23 million. So there's a lot wow. of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff because the stuff at auction has quadrupled in price since when I started buying. So, you know, I still, I'm offered like three or four items a week because you're, I'm in a, in like a network of collectors and all the collectors know one another. So people are trying to get you to, Hey, I've got this. Would you like to buy it? Sort of a thing. Yeah. That kind of thing. And then the auction houses, they get a hold of you and say, Oh, actually some of the auction houses actually contact me to see what things, what I think things are worth. But anyway, so I'm always buying stuff. And my wife is a great sport about all this stuff because we live in a completely normal house. We don't live in like the Adams family house. We live in a normal house. We don't have this stuff all over the house. But she's great about it. And, you know, because the postman shows up like with these coffin-shaped <laughs> boxes and she says, yeah, 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 just bring that in here. You know, come on in. Well, so it's funny because I've been to Tom Savini's house mm-hmm. and Tom Savini's house is filled with all this stuff, but it's like a hoarder's hoarders yeah. version of this yeah even find no. it's like oh there's robbie the robot just st- i got it just right in the middle of his like living room but this is much more organized and like you said like it's very well placed out you can see very well signed so you can tell what everything is yeah we so, want everybody to come through if you're a science fiction fantasy and horror fan and you come through here you'll have a great time you'll recognize a lot of stuff and then everything's labeled so you can see what it is that you're looking at because you know what's funny is a lot of these famous characters especially in movies that have prequels and sequels and all that there's different versions of stuff there's different versions of aliens there's different versions of predators there's different versions of things from hunger games and jurassic park and everything else so when you come through here it's all labeled for you so you know what it Mm. is so you're going to see all the original stuff what was your first piece that you have in here that you bought was there something that kind of took you from finding masks into the, in the garbage until now I've got a legit Darth Maul, you know, outfit or whatever it may be? The stuff, the oldest stuff that goes way, way back is probably the first stuff that I bought. And I'm, so you're talking about the Wicked Witch, like from, from uh, mm. Wizard of Oz, that's 1939. That's my favorite piece in this whole place here. You actually have Margaret Hamilton's Wicked Witch costume. No, that's not, that's, that's a replica costume. Gotcha. The Wicked Witch costume, uh, you and I were talking about stuff like this. Her entire costume now, 
if you if it included the hat would be about it'd be close to two million dollars wow to buy that and and like a darth vader costume if it was really david prowse full i have a touring costume that ilm mm. built for the empire strikes back in here beautiful but a prowse costume would be about four and a half million so with the wicked witch costume you said it's your favorite piece it's my favorite piece it was made by a guy named mike hill mike hill is this artist that everybody knows about who, who makes art pieces out of these things from the universal films and from the older stuff. But the reason that the Wicked Witch is such a, a meaningful piece to me is because Judy Garland was my next door neighbor, literally my next door neighbor, of course. And so I would go over and talk to her about the Wizard of Oz and stuff that she had done. And she talked about Margaret Hamilton and she was so, so loving. And I mean, Margaret Hamilton was, she had such great memories of her. I, I told you when she made that movie, you know, everybody thought, oh, she's this old hag. You know, she was 36 years old. She was like a kid. Right. And um, only five foot two, so they had to put her on shoes that would lift her up and make her bigger. And she always had this black costume on and never complained about the Technicolor lights, which were, that stage was so mm. hot. She was also, the one, you know, between the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, uh, the, the Wicked Witch, the Scarecrow, she's the only one that got hurt because the makeup she had on, had a copper base in it. Mm. And you remember how she appeared in that plume of fire and mm -hmm. disappeared? Okay, that was practical. It was real. I mean, that was, there was no CGI. <laughs> yeah. So she was standing next to these plumes of fire and, and the copper heated up on her face and burned her. It's mm. like second degree burns. And so wow. they had to take her away for a month. And then Judy said when she came back, it was like, hi, everybody. I'm back. Okay, <laughs> let's all go back to work. So she was a sweetheart. Mm. And so I love stories like that. You know, a lot of the movie villains are always the nicest people. Mm. Boris Karloff was, I mean, he was an acquaintance. I wasn't, he wasn't a close friend, but I met him several times and he was such a nice guy. Very, very dignified British guy. Great manners. You know, loved fans. He was happy to talk about Frankenstein and it was, and the mummy. And he was great. Really great guy. Well, it's interesting too because you have such a great collection from that era of of, of Karloff, and then there's the Bella Lugosi, and like you said, you've got a Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman, you got a Lon Chaney Sr. Uh, fan of the opera, so you're including a lot of these kind of universal classic monsters, not because you have the actual pieces, but you just want to, to keep them uh, part of the whole scene here. You're exactly right. I mean, if you do a science fiction, fantasy, and horror Hall of Fame or a, a show of this kind where you want a cross section of everything, you have to include those people. So for me, this is not just about showing the public stuff. It's about preserving the history. Mm. So a lot of the stuff that's in here, I've had rebuilt by guys. I have a team of people to do. They rebuild stuff for me, and they really, really fix stuff up. One guy named Joe Petro in particular is one of the best in the world mm. at doing this stuff, and he's the guy that's restored a lot of it. But you want to have Karloff, and you want to have Bela Lugosi, and you want to have the old-timers too, because if it wasn't for those guys, a lot of this stuff wouldn't be here. Mm. And so like when you see the Universal characters here, you know, I have Bela Lugosi in here. His family's very excited that he's in here, but he should be in here mm -hmm. because Dracula launched the whole universal horror movie cycle. And if it hadn't been for the, the success of Dracula, who knows if any of this stuff would have been made. So you, I think having a place like this, you have to be cognizant of the history of it. But I enjoy that. I love the old stuff. And I love having that stuff in here. But I think it has to be here. The old stuff has to be here. The new stuff have to be here. If you like superheroes, great. But you should also see where a lot of this came mm. from. So you should see the old Batman stuff. And you should see, you know, the old Cheney and Karloff stuff, I think. I think that's part of the preservation of the history of it. It's interesting, too, because um, you mentioned the, the artist that kind of does the, I guess, the actual 
models the the mannequins per se shall we say because you have like this great costuming and stuff but then the faces look exactly like they're supposed to look like margaret hampton looks like margaret hampton i'm looking at leonard nimoy right now as spock so you're obviously having somebody come to design the actual faces themselves so people know right away oh that's spock's shirt because spock is wearing right that that's a very important part of this so i have artists that build stuff for me and I, I'm not an artist myself. I mean, I'm a, I can't draw. I'm, mm. I'm terrible. But I can spot a really good sculpt and a really good paint job like a mile away. And so I have guys do this stuff for me, and this stuff has to be perfect or I won't put it in here. So that's another thing. I have a team of artists that do that kind of work. Mm. And I, I think I, I really admire what they do, and I'm proud to show their work off. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. kind of go through some of the different subjects and genres and movies and stuff so i'm looking at the star wars or sitting right by it is it hard to get this these actual legit star wars pieces and how do you find them for example star wars stuff is really hard to come by right the strange thing about it is that lucas land up in marin county where george lucas had his studio yeah they had a warehouse up there that was so much of this stuff and it's unbelievable which he still has now he's building a museum downtown in la here so I'm George's. sure, yeah. Wow. So I'm sure a lot of this stuff is going to end up there. But the reason I think it's unusual is Star Wars stuff at auction is literally gold. I mean, it costs so much money to buy a stormtrooper head or a piece of C-3PO or a lightsaber or something like that. And yet, for these movies that you know, for the stormtroopers, they made forty, fifty, sixty of them. Mm-hmm. Darth Darth Vader costumes is probably for each movie. There's probably at least four. So there's like 11 or 12 of those out there, but you can't get them. That's still not a lot though. When you think about it. No, but the thing is you can't get them. Mm -hmm. You can't get your hands on them because Lucas saved everything, which actually I thought he was smart to do. Sure. So the Star Wars stuff is really expensive and it's hard to come by. But you got a Luke's Luke's lightsaber over here. I did. Yeah. I have one of his lightsabers. I bought that a long time ago. Where? From where? I got that from an auction house. You know, because all of this, the provenance on stuff from auctions, from the auction houses has to be pretty well defined. I mean- Auction houses have to be careful about what they sell because just like the art world, Mm -hmm. this has become such a big business that there's a lot of trickery and there's a lot of fakes. So you have to look out for it. I also have a group of people that kind of vet this stuff for me. Mm. So, but yeah, I bought that a while ago. And so I put it into a glass case with a life cast of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker as he appeared in the movie. So that's his lightsaber and his face, how he looked when he used the lightsaber. But the Star Wars stuff is hard, is really hard to get. It's hard to find. Do you keep track of the auction houses? Like I know, like I bought a signed Paul McCartney Hofner bass a few years Excellent. ago. Excellent. Is it one of the ones he played? Yeah, one of the ones he played with a certificate of authenticity and where he signed it at a hotel in New York and et cetera, et cetera. Because I was trying to buy an Eddie Van Halen played guitar, but it was super expensive. But the A McCartney, Kramer? A Kramer, yeah. One, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the Frankensteins, right? Yeah. But the McCartney wasn't super expensive, and I was able to get that one. But being in an auction was crazy because you're like, you know, here's my money. Don't spend more. Don't bid more. Like for that 24 hours, I was like nervous wreck. Is that how it is for you when you go to these auctions? No, I'm I'm pretty used to it by now. And here's the thing that's really strange: most of the auction houses and the guys that run them are are friends of mine. Most of them, they usually recycle a lot of stuff. So 
I don't buy as much as I used to because I have most of the stuff that comes around at auction now. That's really a strange phenomenon. And, and the reason that that happened is because so much of the monsters and dinosaurs are all CGI now. So right. there's maquettes of stuff. But a lot, I mean, like, I love A Quiet Place. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a great movie. And those monsters in that movie are really good. But there's only pieces of them. Mm-hmm. A piece of a hand, a piece of a foot. And the rest of it's all CGI. So mm-hmm. the only thing that exists of that is a maquette. So I look at stuff now and they still have stuff from, you know, Jason movies, Freddy movies, you know, the Halloween series, Michael Myers stuff. But I have so much of that stuff that I don't buy a lot of that stuff anymore because I've got it. I mean, you know, I, how many, I used to say to my wife, how many Freddy heads, you know, how many do I need? And she'd say, well, you've got like seven, you don't need more, do you? It's like, I don't know. So it's funny because a lot of the stuff, the older stuff, they kind of recycle and I don't buy too much because I, I still have all that stuff. Let's go uh, through the Batman costumes. You got a super impressive <laughs> array of almost every era of, of the modern day Batman. Yeah, the the cool thing is I have one of Michael Keaton's costumes, which was the first one he wore in 1989, and then I have his full costume from Batman Returns, so he's covered. Then Kelmer played it in Batman Forever. I, I happen to like that movie. I think it's good. I've got both his sonar suit and um, the panther suit. I have both of those. Those were all the originals, and then I have all the stuff of Chris O'Donnell's, all the Robin stuff. Then I have Clooney's stuff from Batman and Robin. As I said, Clooney hates that movie, which I think mm-hmm. is very funny. But the suits look great. But I have uh, Chris O'Donnell's stuff from that. And then I have all the villains. Like I have Jack Nicholson's original yeah, costume as the Joker. Heath Ledger's original Joker. Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Danny DeVito's Penguin. Uh, Mr. Freeze. I've got Schwarzenegger's original stuff. I have Alicia Silverstone's costume as Batgirl. So I'm covered with the Batman guys up to Ben Affleck because mm-hmm. I have Christian Bale stuff too. But I don't have any of the Batman stuff from Batman versus Superman or any of the Bat or the Ben Affleck stuff like from Suicide Squad simply because the stuff hasn't come around at auction. Now, I'll tell you something interesting about the auction world. If you buy stuff at auction, it's considered sale, what's called sale in a public forum. So like the Hoffner base, if you bought that at an auction, if the auction house you bought it from and they went out you know, internationally, anybody, you competed with people around other parts of the world who may have been bidding on that. Right. But once you get it, because it was sold in a public forum, you then have the right to show that to people and charge them to see that. I don't know if you know that. I didn't not. know that. Yeah. It's called the International Right of Fair Usage. Wow. The so International Law of Fair Usage. museum and put this base in it and you have to pay five bucks to see as it. As long right. as I'm not one-offing this stuff and using their heads to sell t-shirts and using them in a commercial way, if, if they sit inside the usage of it being a museum or a collection, then I can charge people to come in and see it. So that's a big advantage to buying stuff at auction. So was all those Batman costumes come from auction then? Yeah. Wow. Every single one of them, yeah. Okay. So you obviously have a reputation for being a, a high roller when it comes to these sorts of things. Do people come to you personally first and say, hey, before I put this up on auction, I'll give you the opportunity to about, buy this? About once a week. Yeah. yeah. Do, you ever, do you ever take them up on it? Yeah. Like, what's the most recent few things that you've bought from somebody direct? I bought a TIE fighter from Star Wars um, <laughs> that belonged to a guy named Grant McCune that built all the miniatures. Yeah, I know that name. That's really nice. Yeah, I bought that. What else did I buy from somebody individually? I don't know. I mean, I buy so much stuff, I lose track of it. But stuff- Maybe a Wonder Woman, one of her swords mm. or something like that. It depends. It comes, oh, this stuff comes around. I bought a, head, a clown head from the Terrifier. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The same guy I got uh, from Sinister. I got one of the heads from Sinister from the same guy. Yeah, that's cool. Sorry. Go ahead. You were saying. Going on on the horror platform, you've got a crazy collection back there. So many cool things, like the one that pops in my head. Because it's funny, too, because as we're walking through here, you've got a little uh, magic going on where you make some of the things jump at you, and you kept trying to scare me, and you did many times. So No, but you were pretty good, though. Well, because I was trying to be cool, but I knew you were going to get me. Like, you have one of the face huggers from Alien. Like, oh, look at all the, the, the genitalia. The like, I know what yeah, he wants yeah, me to yeah. do. He wants me to lean into this, and he's going to move it, and it's going to go, Psh, and it did. But um, but talk about some of these great horror pieces. Like once again, something as as obscure as uh, as Jack Nicholson's jacket and axe from The Shining. Yeah, I've got that. I've got. I mean, The Shining is a very very famous film, so yeah. I've got that. I collect stuff that I think people want to see, sure. not just the things that I think are great. If people, if I think people want to see them, that's why I collect them. But I've got stuff from The Shining, great stuff from Silence of the Lambs. You know, I've got the muzzle mask and his prison yeah. uniform, his straight jacket. That's all on display. Um, I've got some, I've got great stuff from a movie called Dead Silence, which a lot of people didn't go to, which is a fantastic James Wan movie. Mm. A creepy old lady that builds ventriloquist dummies. Really good. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I've got all the originals from that. Great clown stuff. I have a lot of clown stuff. Like I've got John Carroll Lynch's Pennywise. Oh, sorry, his uh, Twisty is here. And then I have um, Bill Skarsgård's entire Pennywise costume with his head on it, made up as Pennywise, <laughs> standing next to the portrait lady. And I've got some really good Freddy stuff. I have some really good Friday the 13th stuff, and Kane Hodder stuff that he wore as Jason. Mm-hmm. You got some great Jason. The great Jason, Jason stuff. Oh, I got a seven. lot of great Chucky stuff. You mentioned the one from, before we get into Chucky, you mentioned for part seven, the Jason. Is that the one that was at the bottom of the lake? You said yeah, I have a suit that actually crawled out of Crystal Lake. And when I got it, it was kind of waterlogged. So we had to do a lot of preservation on that suit. But I mean, got a lot of that stuff. I got a lot of really cool Chucky stuff because everybody knows the Chucky stuff. Then I have some great stuff from Saw, including the jigsaw puppet that jumped up and scared you. <laughs> yeah, 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 that one got you. That was cool. It was a good one, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so the horror stuff, I mean, I love all that stuff. We got the old stuff. We have the new stuff, Terrifier, Sinister, a lot of Scream stuff. Mm. You know, so, you know, it's, it, it just goes on and on and on. Depends on what comes around. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you have like a, a wish list of things? Like, you, like, I need more pieces of this. No, I I uh, I love Jurassic Park stuff. You got a lot of cool Jurassic Park. I a lot have of the big a lot, a pieces, lot of yeah. great dinosaurs. Well, I love the Jurassic Park stuff because people are so impressed to see them full size. Yeah, they're huge. They're huge. I mean, these T Rexes and things are like these things are huge. So I, I I get a kick out of people seeing that stuff. I get a kick out of people seeing things where they remember where they were when they saw stuff, mm-hmm. like the Exorcist dummy in here. Yeah. People remember where they were when they saw the Exorcist because it was so scary. Is that an actual Pete? Is that an actual dummy? From <clears throat> That's all stuff made from molds from Dick Smith's lab. Gotcha. The only Exorcist dummy that turns its head around in the movie is in a place called the Museum of the Modern Image, and it's in of uh, the Moving Image. Sorry, and it's in New York. They're, they only made one. And the funny thing about that is, <clears throat> she turns her head around twice in the 
the movie. And they made a dummy for her to do it the first time. And the progression of the makeup was when the dummy first turns its head around, she was only kind of bad. And then she got really bad, looking terrible. Mm -hmm. But they actually, Dick Smith actually took the dummy and made the dummy up like he would have made the actress up to look worse. Mm. And so that dummy's the one that's in New York. I don't have that, but I have all of the life casts and makeup that was used to make her look progressively worse as the movie goes on. So all of that stuff has been rebuilt from Dick's stuff. Mm. And so having the production made molds in the original pieces, that's pretty cool. So I, I rebuilt that, but you also see it at, here in a cage that jumps at people. Mm -hmm. So most of the stuff that jumps at people aren't the original things because you can't have the originals moving, moving, moving all the time because they'll fall apart. Right, sure, yeah. yeah. So a lot, some of those are repros. Yeah. yeah. What about Child's Play? You mentioned you got some great Child's Play. I've stuff. got great Child's Play stuff. I've got an original Chucky doll when he looks bad. I've got two Chucky dolls when he's still the good guy doll. I've got Ed Gale stuff from Bride of Chucky. I've got a Tiffany doll with all the original clothes and stuff and an original Chucky from Bride of Chucky. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of that stuff that's, you know, everybody recognizes that stuff. You know, I guess he's the most famous puppet mm -hmm. in horror movie history, so you got to have him in there. That puppet and the Yoda puppet are the two most famous puppets, I would think. Two most famous puppets. As that were used in science, science fiction right. and horror movies. Because yeah. you've got a Yoda right over here. I have a Yoda sitting over here, and I told you guys as we were going through, this is a Yoda that was made for um, The Empire Strikes Back. It was made, these are the, it was made from original moles. That's not one of the original puppets, and I was telling you, one of the original puppets from that movie now would cost about $4 million. I'm, I'm like, I love to collect, but I'm not insane. Right, right, right. No, I'm not doing that. So I built this from original molds. That's where which, I got it. Which pieces in here were the most expensive? The dinosaurs were really expensive. The bat suits were really expensive when they first came up. They're really expensive now. They've tripled in value. Darth Maul, that's um, Ray Park's original costume from Phantom Menace, that's really expensive. Wow. The Queen Alien's made from original moles, she's huge. That's an expensive piece, the maquette was really expensive to get that from as the Queen Alien. Um, the Predators were all pretty expensive, especially the completed suits on the great big They're quite big too, yeah. AVP, yeah, all of that stuff was pretty, yeah, all, and by the way, the Mike Hill stuff, that he made for Universal, you know, the Universal repros, those are really expensive. Mm. Those are art pieces, but they're considered art pieces and they're sold as art pieces, so they aren't cheap. A lot of that stuff's expensive. Every now and then you pick up something, you, you get a deal on it, mm. and it's like, because someone wants to unload it or right. they think it's, it's not in good condition, you get a deal on it. So then when you recondition, it's worth a lot more money. But, you know, yeah, I think the dinosaurs are probably the most expensive stuff in here because they're so big and bulky and and then you know the problem with a lot of this stuff is first you have to pay for it then you have to pay the buyer's commission for it mm -hmm. then you have to do sales tax then you have to ship it then you have to preserve it mm. and rebuild it then you have to bring it down here and ship it again so something like that you know if it costs eighty thousand dollars or eighty five thousand dollars to buy it It'll probably cost you like $127,000 to get it here. You I mean, complete, sure. including well, the sale. Especially that, that head is, I don't know, eight feet off the ground or whatever the hell it is. It's, it's super big. But, but when you're talking about, you say you have to preserve it. So when some of these costumes come in or like, what do you have to do to make sure, like, is the, are there temperature controls you have to worry about? <laughs> you have to keep sort of stuff thing? in air-conditioned rooms. But you also, if, if the, see, in this collection, as I told you earlier, we have neoprene, neoprene rubber, foam rubber, silicone rubber, and slip rubber. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the foam rubber stuff that's applications and, and silicone that goes on people's faces, a lot of that stuff was, you know, built to last for a week. Right. You know, they didn't expect it to be in some right, museum right, 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 someplace. Right. So it starts to deteriorate, especially the foam. 
So you have to then bake it. You have to like recondition it. You have to restore it, put rubber back on it, repaint it. There's, I mean, those. I love the baby pteranodon birds from Jurassic Park 3. I love those. Those are puppets built by the Stan Winston Company. All of them are screen used. But when I got them, they were collapsed and sad looking and they're laying in a pile and you know they were turning to mummy dust and everything. I turned them over to Joe Petro. He rebuilt them and they're literally perfect now. The Stan Winston guys came through and said, oh my God, I can't, I've worked on that film. I can't believe you got this stuff mm. and it looks like that. So it, it, you know, a lot of this needs you know, some TLC sure. and you really do have to take care of it. And you know, if you're if you're a serious collector about it, I don't want to see stuff that's falling apart. And I want people to see it the way it was in the movie. So, so it's a lot of work fixing this stuff. There's a lot of maintenance, like just on a day-to-day basis. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause every day, every day something like will need to be polished or cleaned or fixed or whatever it is. As you sit here now, I've got another 50% of this stuff. It's either in storage or it's down with guys that are restoring it. Hmm. So there's all, this is going on all the time. The stripe head in the gremlin section, that only came in here about a week and a half ago because one of his ears was falling off. So we had to like... Paint so who do you send it to to fix a I a sent it pen. to this guy, Joe Petro. Okay. He's got a company. He runs his own company and he fixes all this stuff. And, the, and it's just... Wow. When I get it back from him, it's like brand new. And he's, you know, he's this guy that he pulls up every production still and every behind the scenes still and he, and he looks at stuff with these little magnifying glasses and if it has a little crease in it he copies the yeah. crease it's almost like being a, a taxidermist or something it's yeah 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 it's, right? that's yeah. that's right you're exactly right it's it's very similar to that except it's all this horror stuff and monster stuff and right. sci-fi stuff let's talk about your relationship with stan winston <clears throat> um lots of stuff in here is stan winston kind of created and, and influenced right well when stan was making jurassic park Stan make, Winston is a famous makeup special effects, effects guy. makeup effects guy. <clears throat> yeah, the most famous makeup men in history were Jack Pierce, who did all the Universal stuff, yeah. followed by Rick Baker, mm-hmm. who's won seven Academy Awards. He's been nominated for 11, followed by Stan Winston, and then Rob Bottin. Mm-hmm. All of these guys were really, really, really famous guys. And then a guy named Dick Smith. Right. And Dick Smith is kind of... You know, Jack Pierce was Dick Smith's hero. Yeah. Dick Smith was Rick Baker's hero. hero. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody has a hero, you know. So Rick Baker is Greg Nicotero's hero. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Right. That's, exa- that's exactly right. So anyway, I met Stan a few times when they were making Jurassic Park because a friend of mine named Joe Reeder was one of the guys that built a lot of these dinosaurs. And he would invite me down to Stan's place out in the valley to see them building this stuff. And of course, you know, I was fascinated. I thought it was great. But Stan also had a conference room with a lot of stuff around it from the movies he had built. And I just thought, oh man, this stuff is so cool. Mm. Well, so I kind of knew Stan, he was an acquaintance. So fade out. So Stan passes away. Right before he passes away, I'm directing a show called The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. (laughs) And we need this guy to come in and play the host of like a beauty contest. And we hired this guy, Matt Winston. I thought, I wonder if Matt Winston's really the Stan Winston. Well, it's his son. Mm. Matt ends up turning into not only this fantastic actor, but the nicest guy in the world. I hit this relationship up with him. He becomes a friend of mine. Stan passes away. They decide to sell everything that's in like his conference room and a lot of stuff out of his lab. So I start buying the stuff. I bought like 80% of it. So I started to preserve all of that stuff and put it up. And then I said to Matt, hey, you, you should come and see your dad's stuff. And he freaked. Like it, it's like coming back to Stan's original lab. There's so much of his stuff here. And he got very emotional about it because I told him, look, you know, I got to tell you honestly, Stan was a hero of mine and he still lives here. 
He's still here. Wow. Stan is still here. And Matt is just loved it. And, you know, this place is like a big tribute to, to Rick and Rick Baker and Jack Pierce and Rob Bottin and Stan Winston and even Greg's Nicotero stuff is here. So I like that preservation part of it. My relationship with Stan and the Stan studio is that through his son, his memory kind of lives on and I love showing his stuff to people. And if so, if you like Stan Winston, this is a good place no, to this come. Is a place, yeah. He sends, they send a lot of their students down here. To see a lot of stands, to stuff. see his work, yeah, and I love yeah. that. I think that's cool. What's your favorite Stan Winston piece you have in here? I think it has to be the T Rex heads. Yeah. I mean, that's just so impressive. Right, right. This stuff is crazy good. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about your relationship with Hugh Hefner. You mentioned that uh, you knew him, and there's a great piece over here of a, a creature in the Black Lagoon that you had in the grotto. Right. Uh, Hef... <laughs> Hef was a friend of mine. I met him in 1983 when I was producing this show for the Motion Picture Hospital called King Kong's 50th uh, Premiere. Like we did, we we redid the premiere of King Kong 50 years after its release at the Chinese Theater, and we needed benefactors. And we contacted Hugh Hefner because I had heard from our PR people that he was a big film fan, and he literally was the first guy that contacted us back and said, "Yeah, I'm in." I'll be one of the benefactors. I'll help you do it. I'll help promote it. I'll be one of the stars that shows up. So it was this big gala event that we had at the Chinese theater. And I was psyched because I ended up watching King Kong in the Chinese theater, introducing the movie with Fay Ray, who was the star <laughs> of the movie. And I was sitting next to her watching right the on. movie. I mean, to be in the same theater sitting next to Fay Ray watching that movie was the best. But anyway, that's how I met <laughs> Hefner. And he got to be a friend of mine. He realized that I was this big film fan. And so he put me on the list to be like a regular at the mansion. <laughs> so I used to go to the mansion all the time. And so right around in the late 90s, he was talking about, you know, he, he would see this stuff at my house from time to time on Halloween because we do a big Halloween thing. We have like 8,000 people show up hmm. for Halloween. And he and his wife used to come and bring the kids when they were little. And he would say to me, you know, we should put some of the stuff up at the mansion for Halloween. And I said, well, if it's not here or on tour or something, I'd be happy to do it. So... In the late 90s, like 98, it wasn't. And I went to him and I said, you want to do a Halloween party? And he said to me, yeah, okay, but I want it to be like the biggest Halloween party ever. You never say that to a Halloween freak. <laughs> you never say that to a Halloween freak. So I gave him an idea. I designed a party for him. I gave him a budget. He approved the budget. He and I, like two 12-year-old kids, would walk around the mansion. I'd go, okay, now over here half... This guy's going to come out of the ground and try to grab people. He go, yeah, 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 yeah. I really want to scare people. He was great. He was like a kid. So we had a lot of fun doing that. But that's my relationship with him was about a 25-year relationship. But that's the most fun I ever had was doing all the Halloween stuff. Well, he was a big Universal horror movie fan. So the more, more of that stuff, the better. And I told him, look, the most famous spot on the, the property is the grotto. So I'm going to put the creature from the Black Lagoon in the grotto. He said, come on. I said, I'm going to put it in here. He said, I'll be in heaven. So we put it in there, and it was in there year after year. 
the photograph you saw is a photograph of him standing next to the statue in the grotto. And that's the actual statue that you see when you walk through the tour here. So, you know, that was rebuilt from original mold. So that was not a screen used costume, but that was a costume I built basically Mm. for Hef. Mm -hmm. I got it back when they had the, when they auctioned off a lot of his stuff, I said, I have to get the creature from the black lagoon because that's, I'm the guy that built it for him. I got it back and here it is. And so, Everyone wants to hear the story about, by the way, he was the nicest guy in the world. There's some documentaries out about him now that are very negative. Mm-hmm. That's all a bunch of, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's not true. He was a really polite, sweet, kind guy. The whole Halloween thing at Playboy started with me trying to be reciprocal. Mm-hmm. How, how the hell are you going to be reciprocal to Hugh Hefner, who invites you to all this stuff? Right. And, you know? and that's how it started. That's how the Halloween thing started. So he was a great guy. He couldn't have been nicer. He was great to my wife and just super nice. We were, you know, the girls next door, I think my wife and I were in like three or four of those episodes and <laughs> we just had a great time. The, the Playboy Mansion was like home away from home and it was a beautiful place, great place. He had a party every night. Mm-hmm. He had a dinner party every single night, but it was movies, 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 new movies, old movies. He was a big movie fan and I was too. So we just like blended. It was great. So that's how that started. You mentioned earlier that you have a Halloween collection yeah of the holiday halloween so what kind of what exactly does that even mean when i was a little kid and my brothers and sisters were all older than me and so we they were growing up in the 40s and i was born in the late 40s and we would for halloween my parents would you know my dad would carve a pumpkin and we'd have a breakfast room with all of these really cool like cardboard decorations that were like you know really had a lot of character then when we moved away we all grew up moved away you know all that stuff gets junked right and then along comes ebay and I thought, oh my God, there's stuff on eBay that reminds me of all this stuff when I was a little kid. So I started buying vintage Halloween decorations. And now I have this collection that dates back to around 1920 mm. of stuff that comes all the way up through the 60s and then all the modern stuff. And then um, there's a company out of Mesa, Arizona called Midnight Studios that builds, they're the guys that build the best Halloween decorations I've ever seen of full-size things and werewolves and zombies and everything. So then I started doing my house. I live in Hancock Park, which isn't far from here. I started doing the house up for Halloween, and then it got famous. Like, oh, that's the Halloween house. (laughs) And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I had practical stuff that we'd set up outside. I had moving stuff. We have 30 actors. We have stuff in the windows. We have stuff (laughs) on on the roof. But I started collecting stuff and going to conventions, believe it or not. There's a haunters convention. There's a Halloween convention. I'd go to those conventions and start collecting this stuff. So Halloween was just this, like my favorite day. I mean, I should have been born on Halloween. It was like always my favorite day. And I just had so much fun with it. So, you know, I was like, you know, a big kid. Uh, You know, thank God I was, you know, I I made a good living so I could afford some of this stuff. And I was just like this big kid. And that that made me happy. And subsequently, it made all these people. And, you know, we we have neighbors walk by the house every day going, I'll I'll see you on the October 31st because it was always the same thing. But I've had a lot of fun doing all that stuff. I had a lot of fun collecting all this stuff. So I've had fun doing all of this stuff. To me, it, it's just like I'm a big kid. Well, that's the idea is that you get all this stuff and you don't want to keep it in a warehouse so nobody can see it. So the fun of it is actually putting it out so people can appreciate it and enjoy it with you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited about moving it to Vegas because it's so much bigger. It's What's a, the idea to move to Vegas? The idea is it's going to be a science fiction, fantasy, and horror hall of fame. Gotcha. Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Only 
all about this stuff. And I, I'm going to pull the entire collection out. And for the first time in my life as a collector, I'll actually have a collecting budget. Hmm. That'll be nice. Meaning? That's never happened before. What do you mean by that? Well, because a line item in the budget is money you can spend on collecting. So mm. I don't have to like open my, oh. <laughs> my, my wallet and pay for the stuff, you know? So I'm excited about that. But I really do want to do this Hall of Fame thing because, look, movies became popular, believe it or not. I mean, movies... The first movies were made around 1890, mm -hmm. 1895, 97. They were making movies. Edison was making movies. And then movies became you know, popular in Nickelodeons and things like that around 1903, 1907, 1912. People were going to the movies. And the, the single most successful continuing genre in the history of the movies was science fiction, fantasy, and horror films. Mm -hmm. Even from the silent days. Those movies never went out of style and they never didn't make money. Right. So, you know, musicals came and went, westerns came and went, film noir came and went, you know, that kind of thing. Action is huge now, superheroes is huge now, but horror movies and sci-fi movies are still these mainstays at the box office, but yet very few of them have ever won any awards and nobody has ever paid tribute to them, never. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, there's a rock and roll hall of fame because rock and roll is awesome. There should be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But how come there's no science fiction, fantasy, and horror Hall of Fame? Because, I mean, the legions of fans internationally, it's like 365, 370 million fans internationally. It just goes crazy over mm -hmm. this stuff. Yet there's no headquarters. There's no central place for it. And with this collection as the centerpiece of it, I want to start that. I want to have this Hall of Fame. And it's not about me. It's not about, oh, look what Rich collected. It's about what people can come in and see what people remember, what people had fun seeing and remembering is, is in their childhood or later on and preserving the history of it. Because the guys who are making movies today, the Greg Nicotero's of the world are important to me, but so's Jack Pierce mm -hmm. and the guys who have passed away. So's Karloff and so's, you know, John Barrymore and Lon Chaney Sr. and people who made these films and made them what they were, you know, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. And their families are still around. You know, you can have inductee ceremonies and pay tribute to them via their families and stuff. So I think it's a great idea. And I, and I want to preserve all this history. I'm, I'm really adamant about, you know, having people recognize how important they've been to the film business, really. Do you put in characters as well or just actors? Like, does Frankenstein go in the Hall of Fame? Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. <laughs> a character wing. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, the movie Frankenstein, when it was released, it was released right before Christmas in 1931 basically made all its money in 1932 but that film ended up in 1931 in the new york times top 10 best movies of the year yeah it didn't happen very often with horror movies dracula was a runaway huge success didn't quite have that accolade to it you know mm -hmm. but it still was a major success so it's like all of those guys have to be in there mm -hmm. cheney has to be in there lugosi has to be in there Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre and all those guys have to be in there because they help build all this stuff. You know, we're all products of what those guys put down before us. So I want to like pay tribute to them. And it's fun. It's really, Bela Lugosi's like granddaughter contacted me and said, oh, it's so cool that he's in there. I said, are you kidding? I would never have a thing like this without him in here. Pull so, the you know, strings. Yeah, 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 yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's a really cool display over here of about nine face molds and it's basil. life cast life cast so yeah. explain what that was going on okay okay life casting was this process where they would bring an actor in to the makeup lab mm. and with plaster they put plaster on their face and make a mold of the face so they would could pull out and work on a mold of the guy's face now why would they want to make a mold of somebody's face it's because when they were making doing the makeup they could send the actors home right and still build the makeup on their faces so that when the makeup came, when they came to work, like for Frankenstein, Jack Pierce had already built the pieces. Because he had that, the mold of their face. Because yeah. he had the mold, the exact mold of his face. Right. Exactly. Now, what's, what's cool about that is, is most actors and actresses, a lot of them have been face molded for various reasons, for, for what, whatever reason, you know, to be used in a movie. But it's the only process that was started as early as like 1923 that's exactly the same mm. today. They still use that process yeah. today. And that's one of the only things that's out there. So what I did was I was, I was able to get a whole bunch of these life casts of, you know, Vincent Price and Peter Lorre and John Carradine and Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney and all this. I got all those life casts. Those are legit live casts. Yeah, we yeah. Live casts. And so what that is, is that shows people how they built the makeup. And then you can look over and see the makeup they built and then look over and see the life cast yeah. it was made from. So I see it's that kind of stuff is cool. You got like Bruce Lee too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there, Bruce yeah. Lee was, that was a strange story. I found that in, in a building 16 hours before the building was knocked down by a ball and chain. Wow. Yeah. And people had been searching for that for years because when Bruce made the Green Hornet in 66, both he and Van Williams were life casted because they had to make vacuum form masks of the Green Hornet and Cato. Mm -hmm. So they knew that was there, but no one could find it. And I found it. Well, I found it. And I found it in this building. And 16 hours later, the building was demolished. So had, had I not taken it out of there, it probably would have been gone forever. And you just happened to stumble into these places on time. I happened to stumble into <laughs> it on time. It's a very strange story. And I kind of went there looking for it. And I was just, I, I went up in the, in the rafters of this old building and there was a, the windows, I swear to God, this is true. The windows and the ceilings had been kind of cracked and there was light coming through this broken window going down to a table, uh -huh. pointing down to this table. And I went and looked and I saw this thing that said um, Van Williams. And I went, Van Williams? Okay, well, he played the Green Hornet. I wonder if Cato's here. And I lifted this thing off where the light was and the life cast was underneath that tarp. And I went, oh my God. So I got both Williams and Lee. I was going to mention too about The Thing, probably my favorite all-time horror movie, uh, the remake by John Carpenter. And one of the best pieces, of course, is the, is the spider head. The spider head, yeah. Uh, is that a, a, a replica or is that the actual spider head? No, that's an actual spider oh, God, head. They, they made amazing. four of them. Two of them they burned up. And then the third one was sold at auction about two weeks ago. And that, I think, was on the cover of Cinema Fantastique with a oh, picture wow. of Rob, I think. I think that's the one. And then this one also came from Rob Bottin. It was made for the movie. When I got it, it wasn't in very good condition. The eyes, one of the eyes had to be replaced. I saw them. The so, so, so once again, you take it, send it, send it to our taxidermy friend to do, to oh, do yeah. all this stuff. Same guys. Yeah. And what they do is they look at it and then they try to do it exactly the way they see it in all the photographs. They get as many photographs because the spider head, the thing was really cool because they didn't use any CGI. That was before CGI. Mm. 
So Rob Bottin built all these practical effects. So the spider head was actually a thing that was puppeted. Oh, wow. This it was like stop motion almost? Or? No, it was oh. actually puppeted. Oh, my gosh. Like they were actually using it like a Henson puppet. And that's one of the, this is one of the heads that was puppeted around. But this is one that didn't obviously burn up because, you know, it's still, it was, when I got it, it was in bad condition. I told you they offered me one of the dogs mm. where the head splits mm -hmm. on the husky, but you couldn't even tell what it was. It was so trashed. It, was, it looked like a pile of fur and KY jelly or something. <laughs> it was not in good condition. But this thing was pretty bad shape, but I thought, yeah, we can fix it. And so we did. So that's what you're saying here. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, there's so much, so many great pieces in here. Like this from from the Matrix. I mean, you mentioned the the cool kind of replica of Lawrence Fishburne's head with the, even with the pock marks in it. And that was all sculpted by a computer. That's yeah, why that's so accurate. Yeah, that was done for the Matrix and Carrie Ann Moss and Hugo Weaving and Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. All of those heads were made by a computer. And so I had the suits. I bought the costumes they wore. So, and then I got the heads. So I put them all together. So now you can see them standing there, but that's really their faces, like really cool. It's interesting too, seeing like some of the pieces and like, for example, we were looking at Mark Hamill's Stormtrooper outfit and see he's like fairly short and like, uh, like Carrie Ann Moss, super tiny. I think, um, I keep back. His Dale also yeah, very tiny. See, yeah. Everything you see in here is the exact height, weight, and everything of the actors that played the parts. Most people are surprised at how small some of the people were. But then on the other hand, their stuntmen who were, you know, seven foot three and four wearing predator suits and hairy. And we mentioned the guy who was about seven four, but he's like 150 pounds or something like that. No, the, the guy that played the alien was a, was a guy from Nigeria and he was six foot ten, but he only weighed 154 pounds. <laughs> so when you see the alien suit, because that's the original suit from the actual alien, from the first from movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, I love that thing. That's like the holy grail yeah. of alien yeah, yeah, costume. Yeah. But you look at the legs and you go, "There's no way someone can fit in the suit." Skinny little legs. Yeah. yeah. As you look at the progression of the characters in the movies, you'll see that the legs start to widen because normal stuntmen <laughs> wore. Right. But when this guy, I mean, this guy was so tall and so thin. He was like a marionette puppet or something. He fit mm -hmm. into this thing. And by the way, there's a picture of him too. He passed away at a young age, but I, he's, there's a picture of him wearing it with the head off. Mm -hmm. And there's a diagram of how it works with the head on. So that's a really cool exhibit of, if you like alien stuff, that's, that's really cool. Starting to, to wind down here, there's some great Walking Dead stuff in here as well. Mm -hmm. And you had a great uh, story about Norman Reedus over there. You've got a, a Daryl uh, replica yeah. with the zombies on the ground, a zombie behind him. And, 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 and how did that kind of all Oh, that together? was funny because what happened with that was AMC knew that we were doing this show. Just like Doug Jones knew we were doing the show, so he gave us the maquette for the asset from Shape of Water. Well, when AMC heard we were doing the show, they said, well... We want, we want to make sure Walking Dead's in here. And I already had Walking Dead heads. I had two heads that Greg had built, one of Bicycle Girl and one of Patient Zero. Those were the first two they ever built for the series. Right. And they're in a glass case Amazing, here. Yeah. So they said, we'll give you one of Norman Reedus's suit, but tell us what you're going to do with it. And I said, I'm going to put it on. I'm going to have a, friend, a sculptor friend of mine make a great head of him. And then I'm going to put it on a, a mannequin and display it with him standing over a dead zombie with the but the arrow in the zombie's head, I have his crossbow. So and this is the original crossbow, the original costume. And I said, and then just like in the show, there's but behind him is going to be a zombie creeping up behind him. And so they said to me, "Oh, okay. So you're going to build this like diorama with zombies?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said to me, "Well, do you have any zombies?" To me, <laughs> it's like I have a where I can like let's see ninety. I have a I have a warehouse of zombies. It's like, are you kidding? Yeah, I don't do that with all the, the zombies easy. I got. Right, 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 right. That that zombies like coming the, out of the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the easy part. So 
they were really happy about it. They saw that and just thought it was awesome. I also like the story you told about the Edward Scissorhands that you said one of the hair and makeup ladies came yeah. and actually. V. Neal came down here. V. Neal um, was the, the makeup lady on that. And she and a girl and a girl named Yawanda came down here who did the hair. Uh-huh. And the two of them got a hold of that mannequin and remade the mannequin up and did the hair exactly the way <laughs> they worked on Johnny <laughs> because yeah, yeah. that was Johnny. Those were the two people that did yeah. Johnny's hair and makeup in the show. So that's his costume and a pair of the Scissorhands. And they were... See... It's so cool because those guys love that people still pay attention to their work. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm saying. This is what this whole place is supposed to be. I want to make sure that everybody's work is, is paid tribute to because they're so important. You, you know Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands and you know Edward Scissorhands. And, you know, everybody knows what this stuff is. So why not say, well, look, here's the people that made it. Look, I have an Academy Award in here from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. That Michelle Burke and Greg Kamen. Greg Kamen's a really good friend of mine. Uh, I bought a ton of stuff from Greg. You know, he's got four Academy Awards. I've got two of them. I have his Academy Award from Mrs. Doubtfire and his Academy Award from Bram Stoker's Dracula because he said, Rich, you bought all this stuff. Are you displaying these? I said, yeah. He said, would you display? You can't buy Academy Awards. That's not, lo- that's not cool. Right. He said, would you, if I gave you the Academy Awards, would you put it by my stuff? I said, Absolutely. And, you know, people come in here, some people, some tourists have never seen an Academy Award up close. And there it is. But more importantly, it's the guys that built these great suits and these great faces and all the stuff that's entertaining you in the movies. Here's another tribute to them because there's their Academy Award. So that's what I'm getting. I love stuff like that. Greg is a good friend of mine. And I mean, you know, he was a sensational makeup artist. And, you know, when he started selling the stuff off, I said, I want it. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, well, if you want that, you want the Academy Award too? And I went, of course. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how that happens. Do you ever have any uh, famous people come in to check it out? Or maybe some people that actually are represented in the suits? Yeah, I've people have been in here that have makeup effects guys that have built stuff. Pat would know better than I do. Mm. Um, we've had makeup effects guys. We've had Savini came through here. Bob Burns came through here. Kirk Hammett. Oh, oh Kirk's Kirk, great. Kirk yeah. loves that Kirk, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Corey loves it too, yeah. Who? Corey Taylor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. The guy from Slipknot was yeah. in here, yeah. And then we had um, John Landis come oh, through cool. and check out stuff. You got some great American World from London. Oh, yeah. Over there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of the people that have built some of the stuff have been through. You know, the people that built some of the Jurassic Park stuff came through. Again, I told you, that the Winston people have come through. Yeah, it's, it's totally awesome. Warner Brothers had a press junket here for Dune. And they were, they freaked. They were freaking out. <laughs> they were going through seeing all this stuff. They had so much fun. Most of the tours, if a tour is sold out here, and, and everybody that tours goes with a docent who knows that, that who can show you. Is that how it works? You do tours? Yeah. You don't just we, wander through on your own? Nobody wanders through on gotcha. their own. They go through with docents. But when they do, I mean, the biggest tours are usually 10 or 12 people. I and mean, Warner Brothers came through with a press junker. They came in with like 30 people at a time. It was pretty cool. But like, I set off those jump scares and they were screaming and it was like the best. It was so much fun. It was like really cool. You can tell I have fun with all this oh, stuff. Oh, that's the thing. It's fun is the key word. It is. Um, last few questions. Is there like a, a movie franchise that you haven't got into yet that, that, that you want to or that you need to get more of? Like when something comes out, for example, like when The Conjuring came out, you got some great pieces from The Conjuring. Great. Yeah, I love James Wan. I think his stuff is great. Got some good Insidious stuff. I got some good Conjuring stuff. No, I don't know if there's a franchise that I'm missing that's science fiction, fantasy, and horror in particular. But I'm always looking for stuff. Like I, I f- me- see, I mentioned A Quiet Place. I loved both of those movies. Yeah. But you can't get, that stuff is all CGI. Right. So if you don't have the maquette of the monster or an arm, there's nothing to get. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
you know, the, the last two Jurassic Park films, and I, I, I've liked all of the Jurassic Park films, but the last two, um, there's not a lot of practical stuff. There's practical stuff they build for like theme parks. Like right now, there's a show touring around called Jurassic World, the stage show. Mm-hmm. And you can take kids to like the... It's like a skating show, you know. You, the, the monsters come out and walk around, but those things were built for the stage shows, and not that there's anything wrong with them. But the the, pract- the stuff in the movies, the raptors and the T Rexes, those are all done by computers now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad, I'm happy that I was able to get the stuff that's in here because this is kind of the end of the practical stuff. So if you want to see what they really look like in the in the day, you know, 1993, 1996, 1998, that's you should come here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean to answer your question, I don't know if I'm missing anything from any particular franchise. I don't have. I have some stuff from Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, and I have some nice stuff from Wonder Woman. I'm getting more stuff from Captain America, but those seem to be the you know the DC films or the Marvel films. So, you know, I I mean I think they're pretty well represented. I mean I could always get more, but it depends on what's what's available and how much it costs. Yeah, like you said too, and there's a lot of CGI going on. For example, you have I don't think you call them maquettes. I think of the of the Army of Darkness, the three skeletons. Oh yeah, I have a lot of them. And there was so much of that that was stop motion. Obviously, that's kind of old school Ray Harryhausen type stuff. But it's still kind of cool when you can actually (laughs) see that and look at it for your own self. It's good for you, man. I can't believe that you know all that stuff. That's really impressive. Like when you talk about Ray Harryhausen. Oh yeah. You know, you know uh, Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen were obviously you know heroes of mine. Um, All of Ray's stuff. The, he he used to like tear one thing apart to use in another movie and I met with him at his house in London in 1970 and he said to me I made a big mistake when I took the giant Emer and turned it into the Cyclops for a 740 <laughs> and I said why did you make a mistake he said because I tore down an original artifact yeah. to build another and I'll never do it again. That's how they used to do it though. Like no, you said, of course. at the beginning of this conversation, of we talked about you finding something in the trash. That's what they did with King Kong. Yeah. They tore King Kong down to make the son of Kong. Yeah. And the son of Kong was not a good movie and no. King Kong, they should have just left it. Yeah. But regardless, after the seventh voice of Sinbad, which is 57, he kept all of his miniatures and now they're at a museum in London where Peter Jackson, like he licks his chops every time he thinks about it because he's the guy who at auction has bought most of the stop motion stuff mm-hmm. and he pays so much money for it. Forrest Ackerman was a really good friend of mine. I used to visit the King Kong armatures and stuff at his house all the time. Um, I'm glad he had them. I'm glad he preserved them. But all of that stuff belongs to Peter Jackson now, which is also good because Peter takes care of that stuff too. But the Ray Harry has this stuff. Nobody can get it because all of those are one of a kind mm-hmm. and they're in this museum. And I'm telling you, if that stuff came up for auction, I can't even imagine how much money they'd make. I can't imagine how much like the original Medusa from Clash of the Titans oh gosh, is worth. Yeah. I mean, it's worth a fortune. Yeah. Much more than probably what the film cost. Right. Right. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed, Chris, that you knew about <laughs> Ray Harryhausen. Good for you, man. That's cool. Yeah, I used to be a Harryhausen freak when I was a kid. Well, I got to tell you, in the Vegas setup, I want to do a whole Harryhausen tribute. And the only thing I can do is is repro some of that stuff, like the sideshow made some really nice chasing skeletons mm-hmm. and stuff. But I am building the 
Cyclops from oh, Seven Voices nice. Sinbad. And you know me. Every single line on it will <laughs> yeah, be perfect, you know, or I won't put it in there. But that's cool as you mentioned that, yeah. Last question for you, man. And what's, I mean, you mentioned some of the dinosaurs, but besides that, what's your favorite piece in here that you like the most out of all of these amazing things? My favorite piece is Margaret Hamilton because Judy Garland was my next-door neighbor. I told right, you, right, she right, told right. me about Margaret. I love the alien suit because mm. it's such an iconic piece and it's such, it's so cool to have that in here. And then I think the, t-rex heads i just love dinosaurs and as a kid i loved them so having them is really it, the whole thing makes me happy you know <laughs> i <laughs> just have a lot of people time. happy man it's gonna make you even happier when you move it to vegas thanks and, and you'll have to come to the opening more. i Absolutely. want you to come to the opening grand right? opening yeah yeah, yeah yeah you'll have a great time like a, we'll have and a and i'll be running around like i'm 12 it'll be great you know yeah. <laughs> well we got to get together again and do another podcast about some of your hollywood experiences too yeah i mean i've been happy very very lucky <laughs> i've been really lucky to have so much fun i've had a fun time my whole career well, dude, it's, this is a fun place here, and uh, thanks for having us here. It's been very, very cool. Very it's exciting. my pleasure. I'm glad you listen. You know what? I put this together for people like you because you love it. Yeah, and I can Appreciate tell. It. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. really do. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm glad you came. Thanks, dude. Now the spider head is going to freak me out for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs>